Hello everyone! Real quick before we start the show, I've got a quick update regarding the reopening of Disneyland Paris. It was just announced that Disneyland Paris is now planning to reopen on April 2nd, 2021. The resort was originally slated for a February 13th reopening, however, you guessed it, due to the pandemic and things being what they are in Europe and France right now, it's just not feasible. The hotel reopening schedule has also been adjusted to reflect these new developments. Santa Fe and Newport Bay Club will open along the parks on April 2nd. Hotel Cheyenne and Davy Crockett Ranch will follow on July 1st, Sequoia Lodge on October 23rd, and the Disneyland Hotel will remain closed until further notice. This might be due to the impending refurbishment, however, we're still waiting on official confirmation. Also, no news regarding the new Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel which was supposed to open last summer and was then delayed to March 8th, 2021. Disneyland Paris also announced that all annual passes will automatically be extended before this end of the month by the number of days the parks have been and will be closed until the plant reopening on April 2nd. Stay tuned for more updates and enjoy the show! Hello everyone and welcome back to Air Magique. I'm your host Eric and with me is my amazing co-host Niels. Hello everyone, today we will be doing a deep dive on Adventureland at Disneyland Paris in part 3 of our new deep dive Land by Land series. Yes, Adventureland is definitely where I like to head if I'm in a very like tropical mood. It just transports you right into a jungle, Caribbean, Oriental and even kind of like African fusion feel. Yeah, before we talk about that, um, not much going on in the news. Disneyland Paris is currently closed, as are many theme parks around the world. But what we have been noticing is that scaffolding has starting to arrive on both sides of Sleeping Beauty's castle. So they're starting to drape it in beautiful, beautiful construction <laughs> scaffolding for the big yeah. refurbishment, which is a necessary evil, I guess you could say. Yeah. At least the parks are closed right now. I guess that's one good side that we don't have to be there to see that. It won't ruin any family pictures, but they're going to put a really nice printed tarp over the castle as well. So Yeah, and they usually do a really good job with that. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's the best they can do. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the best you can do in a construction type situation. So I'm okay with it. And I'm glad our castle is getting some love. Yeah. So Adventureland was one of the original lands of Disneyland in California, where it is most noted for the Jungle Cruise, which we don't have, <laughs> which takes up most of the land space. The land was inspired by Walt's True to Life Adventure series and has been implemented in Walt Disney World in Florida. Tokyo Disneyland, Hong Kong Disneyland, and of course, Disneyland Paris. In Disney's own words, exotic tales exist side by side with the real world. Heroes of the cinema rub shoulders with classic characters of literature and Africa lies next to Asia and the South Sea Islands. Nothing sums up this combination of contrasts better than the giant archway that forms the entrance to Adventureland, which hides a couple of interesting secrets of its own. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this, but on each side of the arch is a compass symbol depicting the world's two hemispheres, which is itself the original logo for Disney's True to Live Adventures film series. And hidden in the intricate tile work are the letters WDI, so a tribute to Walt Disney Imagineering. Nice. While the original California Disneyland's Adventureland theme was a sort of all-purpose jungle, for Disneyland Paris, Imagineers wanted to expand the theme to incorporate the deserts of Africa and the tropical islands of the Caribbean. Authenticity is important, however, Imagineers didn't want everything to be too realistic. It needed to be, first and foremost, entertaining. 
which is why the design team used a certain amount of artistic license. So before starting work on Adventureland, Chris Teets, show producer for Adventureland, delved into the tales from 1001 Nights. It's basically stories of mix of literature, mystery, and legends, providing an ideal source for inspiration for Adventureland. Apart from the universally known legends and unparalleled architectural potential, there was another reason why the Mystic East made the perfect theme for Adventurelands, the Europeans' fascination with the exotic Middle East. So Tony Baxter explains, <laughs> quote, When we were studying European culture, we realized that for Europeans, Babar the Elephant and tales of 1001 Arabian Nights were what evoked visions of exotic faraway places. Visiting a fantasy of the Middle East is just as exotic for the French as visiting a storybook French village for an American. Niels, why don't you start us off with your uh, numéro un, <laughs> s'il vous plaît? <laughs> well, your French is uh, good, uh, Eric. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, let's continue in English. <laughs> yeah. My first pick in uh, Adventureland is uh, Hakuna Matata, a counter-service uh, restaurant. This place opened in uh, 1992 when Disneyland Paris opened, but The Lion King was not yet released at that time. Um, so Disney actually rethemed this restaurant after the movie uh, came out. The original name was Oapis Enchantés, <laughs> uh, which means with enchanted spices. So uh, yeah, there we already have some uh, some magic. <laughs> it already had an African theme, um, well, full of nice African art and style elements uh, uh, throughout uh, the restaurant. So the nice. Colors, patterns, yeah, the, the materials used for the walls, the floors, the ceilings, everything feels, well, quite authentic to me, uh, at least. <laughs> With the successful release of The Lion King in uh, 1994, Disney grabbed the chance to link this restaurant uh, to The Lion King. Slap some IP on there. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> what they always try to do, <laughs> if possible. <laughs> so around 1995, uh, the restaurant reopened as uh, Hakuna Matata. And the place still looks pretty much like the original opening day restaurant. However, murals of uh, Timon and uh, Pumbaa were added in the central order section. But, well, the basics are still uh, pretty much the same. This restaurant has three indoor sections. The central area where you come in and place your order. And then there are two large seating areas to the left and the right of it. In the warmer months, you can also sit outside on the restaurant's terrace. And, well, as said, there are no references to the Lion King in the dining rooms, but the Lion King music and, well, the whole African styling definitely does feel Lion King to me. And as a piece of entertainment, you also have a good chance to meet some African musicians that come by all the tables and let you beat their African drums. So yeah, it's really a nice place, especially for a fast food location. Let's talk about the food. Uh, the menu is pretty simple uh, with a few menus available to order and some a la carte options. And they currently offer beef balls with vegetable sauce. And you can also choose for white rice, I believe. They have their famous Hakuna chicken strips with uh, French fries or veggies. Oh, sounds so good. Oh, yeah, it is. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have the yassa chicken and vegetables with even more vegetables or white rice of your choice. Um, and lastly, they have a kebab sandwich with fries or uh, veggies yeah and in the past they had not uh, french fries but so-called hakuna fries Ooh. well and those were actually far better than the french fries uh, in my opinion as those were spiced potato wedges yeah, and those 
really were the best. Uh, so I'm a bit disappointed that they don't have it anymore on, on the menu. Bummer. But I'm really happy that they kept the Hakuna chicken tenders uh, on the menu as well. Those are really great. Do they have the same kind of spice mixture, the chicken tenders, as the fries did? Yeah, I think uh, they had. Ah. Yeah, so it was a really good match to have those in one menu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I personally think that uh, restaurant uh, Hakuna Matata is one of the best counter service dining options uh, at the park. Oh, nice. Yeah. And a fun fact, uh, they share the kitchen with uh, Puente del Oro restaurant in uh, Frontierland. Another favorite. And that's your favorite, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really good uh, too, indeed. So, well, some final notes on uh, Hakuna Matata. It's not always open, so be sure to check the app uh, for the current opening hours. And this place could be quite busy. Reservations are not possible, so... Gotta wait in line. Yeah. <laughs> or lunch or dine early or, well, maybe a bit later than uh, <laughs> the French do. Uh, or indeed prepare for some, uh, some waiting time. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's worth it for a counter service uh, restaurant. Yeah. yeah, it looks fantastic. I wish I could go more often because I've only been once and it was a while ago because my husband is vegetarian and they don't have anything for him really so it's kind of a bummer. No, yeah I understand. <laughs> I wish they just had maybe like a fried veggie menu or something like that that would be enough but. Yeah they probably have the well the standard salad eh, that, that they sell in a lot of uh, counter service restaurants uh, the salad with the cheese but. Uh, yeah um, but you know eating yeah. a salad every day is also not no. so much fun at least at Fuente del Oro you'll get some nice fajitas, fajitas yeah. with veggies and <laughs> yeah churros, that's definitely more attractive <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah totally yeah, there are more exciting options uh, for vegetarians so yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I totally agree yeah. I would love to try those Hakuna Matata uh, potato <laughs> Hakuna, wedges uh, yeah yeah and they don't have that anymore but the, the chicken tenders yeah yeah you have to try them one day oh my gosh <laughs> yes <laughs> so what's your first place to go yeah so my first pick is the curious giraffe mm. the background story of the shop is that the shop is run by an enterprising man who offers adventures an eclectic array of goods and services in front of the building parkourers can spot the all-terrain truck that he would use to go find various interesting objects to sell in his shop as well as taking customers out on safari the vehicle was purchased by the walt disney imagineering prop department and themed to the safari outpost look and feel Imagineers originally intended to use all the terrain truck as a point of sale location, but um, yeah, there wasn't enough space, so now it's just used <laughs> as a beautiful prop display. Yeah. The exterior of the Curious Giraffe was inspired by the Indiana Jones Adventure Outpost, which was actually previously called Guatemalan Weavers and Safari Outpost. A shop in the original Disneyland Adventureland, which stands directly across from the Jungle Cruise attraction. Both structures are nice examples of the African mud architecture. So in many African countries, mud was and is often used in construction as the material is plentiful and cheap yep. and clay buildings keep cool inside. So the facade has three striking features, the tower, thatched roof and bas relief. The tower has small holes that would offer lookouts and ventilation. The thatched roof is supported by pillars that are set on stone bases to protect them from moist ground. And the bas relief decorated the exterior wall was inspired by sculpted mud decoration found in the Hausa architecture of northern Nigeria. Once inside, parkourers immediately noticed the head of a giraffe poking through a hole in one of the walls. <laughs> it seems like some customers drew his attention and the giraffe wants to find out what's going on inside the shop. 
The Imagineers added this touch of whimsy to make the shop more fun, and it served as inspiration for the shop's name, the Curious Giraffe. Mm. I love that the giraffe is also a limited motion range animatronic, so it's like chomping on its hay, which is so cute. Yeah, it's really cute, yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the giraffe animatronic was cast from one of the Jungle Cruise giraffe molds. Mm. It has an identical twin across the sea, <laughs> which ah, is really and fun. So we actually have a bit of a Jungle Cruise then. Yeah, yeah, we have like a little hints here. In there. <laughs> the animatronic birds that appear in Colonel Hathi's Pizza Outpost, also known as the Explorers Club, <laughs> might look very familiar to you if you've ever visited the Enchanted Tiki Room before. So it's not the only animatronic animal that uh, has a duplicate here in Paris. <laughs> the interior of the shop also features props that reflect the owner's various business exploits by selling cameras, tents, fishing gear, and attire. Most of the shop's furniture was custom made, however some items were purchased like the benches and chairs that fitted the theme. The light fixtures were inspired by both authentic handmade pottery and manufactured lanterns, a blend of old and new. Some parts of the ceiling are made out of exposed wooden beams and sticks, and the floor features different patterns that is mainly to pique visual interest but also to suggest that building materials that were used were locally found. So, um, have you visited the Curious Giraffe before, Yes, Niels? I definitely have. And uh, yeah, uh, somehow, merchandise-wise, I'm not always really interested to go in there. But uh, yeah. it's a beautiful shop. A lot of princess stuff, right? For some reason. Yeah, and I think last year's also a lot of Lion King stuff. And uh, yeah, oh, but yeah. it looks gorgeous. And, um, and, and I think a lot of people... Well, don't really go in there or they just miss it. Yeah. I won't say it's hidden, but it's not the first shop <laughs> you just walk True. in. But it's definitely worth checking out. So I'm happy that you um, chose this to visit in this uh, episode. <laughs> I yeah. feel like the all-terrain truck that's right outside the shop also draws a lot of attention yeah. away from the shop itself. A lot of people <laughs> take the picture with yeah, the truck. And yeah, and then they just keep <laughs> moving on, which is kind of how I feel sometimes. You have to remember, oh yeah, right, there's a little shop there, which is cute. Yeah. I've seen the giraffe working and I've seen the giraffe not working, so it's always kind of mm. a, a good omen when yeah. you go inside and you see it chewing on its hay, which is a lot of fun. And I adore that it's just a tiny little drop of jungle cruise here in Paris. True, yeah. But I think this whole, let's say, corner is a little bit missed by a lot of people. It's it's not just yeah. this shop, but it's also the Aladdin walkthrough attraction True. that is there. Yeah, A lot of people don't even know that it's there. This whole area <laughs> feels a bit like a walkthrough area yeah. to the, well, the big Adventureland True. attractions. But uh, yeah. There's no e-ticket right there. No. I guess they could have rerouted Aladdin's to exit through the gift shop. And I think that would have yeah. brought more people... Some Something like that would in be there, uh, but really smart. Yeah, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so, what's next on your list, Niels? Next is uh, Captain Jacks with Ooh, uh, yes. subtitle Restaurant de Pirates uh, <laughs> or Pirates uh, Restaurant. So good. Logically, this restaurant is located in the same uh, building as the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction, and it's a merchandise shop. It originally opened as Blue Lagoon Restaurant and it was uh, re-engineered in 2017, uh, I believe, yeah. when Captain Jack became the name and the face of the restaurant. That was also the moment that uh, they uh, updated the Pirates of the Caribbean ride uh, with Johnny Depp as Captain Jack in a couple of audio uh, animatronics. So yeah, as before, the ride featured classic animatronics and the audience nowadays didn't match that with the later developed Pirates of the Caribbean Hollywood movies. So uh, by adding Johnny yeah. Depp uh, to the ride uh, or, well, Jack Sparrow, 
and to this restaurant, the whole area felt more up to date. So uh, yeah, I can imagine why they did that. Also bringing in that IP again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The restaurant fully ties in with the rides and it's well a beautifully atmospheric place. Uh, for me, it's one of the best Holy. themed dining experiences uh, in the park. So immersive. It is. Huh? The lights are dimmed a bit. You're seated on a lagoon shore. And that means that you can actually see the water. And the best thing is that you are dining in the right. Huh? So yeah. you're basically a part of the decor. It feels like being outdoors at night with lots of cozy lanterns, lighting up this pirate's place with a shipwreck in the back, the palm trees on the sides, and then the boats with the guests coming by all the time. And well, oh yeah, your waiter or waitress will be dressed like a pirate uh, yes. as well. So yeah, it's really <laughs> nice. They really did a great job there. So well, time for the food. Uh, <laughs> so we are close to the seas uh, that the pirates explore and we are in the Caribbean. So the menu is full of exotic Caribbean flavors and also a lot of seafood. This is also really matched with the theme. But of course, there are meat and vegetarian options too, to make it uh, <laughs> a place to go for everyone. The seafood includes swordfish, crayfish, prawns, scallops, well, and many more uh, options. My favorite choices uh, include uh, the veggie uh, quinoa uh, salad, uh, which uh, well, I think it was a spicy cashew nut sauce or vinaigrette. And also the marinated prawns uh, with the salad uh, as a starter were well, delicious. For my main course, I usually take the Caribbean chicken and prawns with uh, the so-called captain's rice, which is uh, well a little bit Caribbean flavored uh, rice. So it's a bit perfumed and well, just a rice with a twist. Or the oven baked uh, mai mai fish uh, steak with coconut sauce and the peppers is also really good. Uh, Sounds so good. It's hot and spicy, but because of the coconut sauce, it's also a bit sweet. It's a great uh, combination, a bit like a curry actually. So that one was uh, delicious. For dessert, uh, I usually, well, can't choose. <laughs> <laughs> As, well, I really like sweets, but I like a cappuccino to uh, conclude my dinner. So I usually ended up with a coffee or a tea gourmand. So that's a selection of mini desserts with a coffee. And you can ask for a cappuccino. I don't think it's mentioned on the menu, but you can ask for it to have a cappuccino instead of the regular coffee. And well, this coffee comes with, uh, well, other treats from the menu uh, in uh, little portions. So that's uh, <laughs> a great way to uh, try a lot of different uh, uh, things. Other good options are the um, assortment of tropical sorbets, the tropical fruit soup with coconut foam or the guava and coconut cream cheesecake. Uh, all very, very good. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I can go there all day. <laughs> Literally everything you just mentioned is something I'd like to eat. So I love <laughs> yeah. this place. Yeah. And in the past, there were quite a lot of negative reviews, probably because it was uh, not that fresh. But these days, uh, yeah, they really do a good job. It's not cheap. It's a premium restaurant uh, for well, both theming and the food options. I think it's worth it. Uh, so if you have the money, then definitely uh, go there. You can check the full menu and, uh, and prices on the Disneyland Paris website or in the app. And I recommend to choose one of the offered menu formulas, uh, as that will save you quite some euros. Uh, so you can choose a, a starter and a main course, for example, from uh, well, a selection of the a la carte uh, options. Very true. It's definitely a better deal. It definitely is. And there are some really good food options uh, in there too. So uh, yeah, uh, worth checking it out. And if you have a Magic Plus or Infinity uh, Annual Pass, then make sure to hand it over to the waiter when you get seated because that will get you a free non-alcoholic welcome beverage well, for everyone who has a pass. And of course, you will get your applicable reduction on your bill when leaving. But uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely worth uh, checking out this restaurant and uh, make your reservation uh, on forehand. So uh, yeah, 
go there, people. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand that you have eaten there as well, Eric? Yes, we had a wonderful lunch there. It felt like dinner because it's, of course, it it's feels dark, like yeah. nighttime <laughs> in parts of the Caribbean, but it was lunch. And yeah, that, that's actually a good thing indeed. So uh, if you don't have time to dine or it's already full with the reservations uh, made by other people, then uh, yeah, go there for lunch. It's great. Yeah, totally. I adore this place. This is my hands down favorite Disneyland Paris restaurant in mm-hmm. Park restaurant i should say i do really like inventions oh, yeah, as well that's great too yeah definitely high end definitely something that you don't find at every corner here around europe caribbean food is pretty hard to come by i would say i don't know a single caribbean restaurant here in my local city no, <laughs> to be honest either. so yeah. i adore that you can go get those dishes there and you know it's kind of like a change in palate so for your lunch if you're like craving something a little bit exotic and you don't know exactly what this is a pretty good place to go because there's such a diversity on the menu we've got fish you've got chicken and i think they've even got lamb right yeah yeah love this place go there yeah and it's definitely well something else than most of the other let's say theme park food (laughs) that you can get so uh, and if you have a complicated last name uh definitely make reservations online (laughs) because (laughs) 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 so i I took my husband's last name and it's it's schlachter (laughs) which is kind of a tough sell if you're speaking to somebody who's a native french French. speaker but they're trying to speak to you in english and we made the reservation over the phone and i don't know what she wrote down but Mm. the cast member in the restaurant could not (laughs) locate (laughs) Uh, so i had to look at the list for her and i was like i guess this is us because it looked kind of similar but um i hope i didn't steal anybody else's <laughs> reservation but uh, yeah. we did end up getting our table my last name is uh, van eichlenburg which is also a germanic uh, yeah. name but uh, that's also really hard i always have to spell it out and yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that's the best thing you can do if you make a reservation uh, on the phone but in, indeed go online or even when you're in the park and well want to check uh, if there's a last minute possibility you can do it uh, through the uh, Disneyland Paris app that works really well these days yeah uh, yeah then you can just type it in yeah it'll (laughs) save you a lot of uh, headaches later on yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so where do we go now eric yeah so we're gonna take a trip down memory lane and look at some experiences that have been lost over time now adventureland does offer really several great experiences these days but you know either due to budget cuts or operational issues Mm -hmm. some things just yeah had to go yeah since it's interesting to look back on how certain things were originally intended to be used by imagineers i thought this would be a fun thing to look at now i'll start off with the now defunct adventureland bazaar walt disney once said the spirit of adventure is often linked with exotic tropical places many of us dream of traveling to those mysterious far-off regions of the world Inspired by this quote, Imagineers let parkours at Disneyland Paris do exactly that once they pass through the portals of Adventureland and enter the Adventureland Bazaar. The bazaar was a fascinating maze of winding lanes, little squares and gorgeous gardens, where oriental merchants beckoned you into their mysterious shops, craftsmen sat cross-legged plying their trades, and musicians played a serenade to the seductive accompaniment of softly splashing fountains. You really felt transported into the world that could exist in the stories of 1001 Nights, which for those of you who don't know is a collection of Middle Eastern and South Asian stories and folk tales compiled in Arabic during the Islamic Golden Age. The indoor shopping arcade featured a central alley and four distinct boutiques where you um, found thematically accurate merchandise. Like the handmade looking toys at Galaxy's Edge today, yeah, but indeed. before it was cool. <laughs> One prominent boutique 
Les Trésors de Sherazade, so the treasures of Sherazade, was named after Sherazade, the legendary Persian queen and storyteller of 1001 Nights. According to the story, Sherazade married the awful Persian king who executed each of his wives after a single night of marriage. However, Sherazade was clever. In order to postpone her execution, she begins to tell the king a tale on their first night of marriage, but does not end it. The king, so enthralled by her tale, is thus forced to postpone her execution in order to hear the conclusion. The next night, as soon as she finishes the tale, she begins, and only begins, <laughs> a new one. And the king, eager to hear the conclusion, postpones her execution once again. And so it goes on for 1001 nights. <laughs> Now, the interior of Les Trésors de Sherazade was inspired by the story of Sinbad the Sailor. Sinbad is the hero of the tale 120 in volume 6 of Sir Richard Burton's 1885 translation of 1001 nights. During his seven voyages, Sinbad the Sailor visits magical places, meets terrifying monsters, and encounters supernatural phenomena. In Les Trésors de Sherazade's shop, oriental rugs and fringe shawls hung from the rough adobe walls, while fine Egyptian cotton dresses hung below belts, bags of scented Moroccan leather, and jewelry gathered from all over the Orient could be, yeah, purchased yeah. there. <laughs> In an out-of-the-way corner, parkours could try a cup of peppermint tea or taste some Greek oriental or African sweets like filled dates or Turkish honey. Nice. A huge wooden camel stood in the middle of the boutique, Above the structure, swords were stuck in the ceiling, so the story being that Sinbad collected them from each of his conquered foes. Mm. Another unique shop was La Reine des Serpents, Cadeau Exotique, so Queen <laughs> of the Serpents, Exotic Gifts. French listeners out there, I'm sorry, I'm trying my best here. <laughs> This store was named after the Serpent Queen, a mythical creature from the tales of 1001 Nights that is supposed to have the body of a snake and the head of a beautiful woman. La Reine des Serpents, boutique sold jewelry cases, Indian tablecloths, and Egyptian perfume bottles. And then there was also Aladdin's shop, so Le Shop de Aladdin carried a vast selection of clothing and accessories. It even housed a king's ransom of exotic jewelry that spilled out into the streets from its open doors. Parkgoers looking above could spot a friendly tiger that sat benignly on his magic carpet, watching over the hustle and bustle below. And last but not least, in the Chant des Tam-Tams, or the Song of the Tam-Tams, parkgoers could enter the mud and waddle hut and purchase East African tribal artifacts, beautifully crafted baskets, painted pottery, and unique carved wooden figures. So carved wooden figures seem to be a thing back yeah. in the day, like the wood carvers we mentioned in our Frontierland exactly. Deep Dive, yeah. so go check <laughs> that out if you haven't yet. Today, the only thing that remains of the Adventureland Bazaar and its narrow winding passages is the restaurant Agrabah Cafe. Thankfully, much of the theming remains inside the restaurant, which makes it one of the most beautiful restaurants in the Disneyland Park. True. Les Trésors de Sherazade remains the only boutique left. While the unique product range vanished along with the bazaar, the wooden camel and Sinbad's sword stuck in the ceiling remain to this day, so that's a really fun 
detail to look out for when you're in there. It kind of reminds me of my high school because we had these really cheap styrofoam type ceilings yeah. and people would throw their pencils up in the ceiling and they'd get stuck <laughs> in the ceiling. And since the ceiling was way too high to reach, there was like this massive accumulation of number two pencils up there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's relatable at all uh, to European listeners. I think schools are built a little bit better over here. I don't know. How, <laughs> what was it like at your school, no, Niels? Did you have I, I don't uh, think this, I don't ceilings? think this was possible. <laughs> and at least we never tried. That sounds like a nice memory, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> is this one of those boutiques that you visited before? Yeah, but I think this boutique is not open a lot. Yeah, it's true. I guess only when they have higher capacity days. Yeah, but that camel is amazing. It's really nice to just walk around and look at all those beautiful uh, uh, details. Yeah, I never got to experience the original bazaar. It sounds very no, interesting yeah. to me. And it sounds like the Imagineers over at Galaxy's Edge were very inspired by it and uh, mm -hmm. integrated some of those authentic merchant elements into Galaxy's yeah. Edge. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting that you you can buy some well non-Disney yes, merch as well. Very <laughs> true, like carpets and stuff. Maybe a bit like uh, Epcot as well, because hey, you have the World Showcase uh, over there, and you can visit the Morocco Pavilion, true. which is a bit like this bazaar, and hey, you can also buy traditional and authentic merch. So yeah, it's a bit like that. I'm quite disappointed that it's not there anymore because these kind of shops really added, uh, well, something yeah. to the whole environment, to the whole atmosphere and made this like a real place instead of just a fairy tale that you were walking through. It was really the attraction that is now missing from that area, yeah. if you think about it. I mean, exactly. technically shops yeah. aren't an attraction, but it was so unique that it would bring people over. Yeah. And and of course, the restaurant is great, but it's yes. something that you, well, you have to make your reservation, you have to go in, you have to pay. It's not something that you just explore like this bazaar. So, uh, yeah. Yes. It's interesting. It's one of those little lost pieces. Let's see if we can get it back once Galaxy's Edge opens up at Walt Disney Studios Park in <laughs> yeah, Paris. Yeah, let's hope that they and, still um, build that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, poor poor uh, Walt Disney Studios Park catch a break. As soon as they announce expansion plans, we get a pen. Pandemic. It's yeah. like Hashtag, the universe uh, is working WS, against it. Uh, 2 will be uh, 2.0, well, yeah. 1.5 instead of 2. <laughs> ah, no, if we don't get it, but uh, no, let's see. Uh, uh. Difficult, difficult time. So, uh, yeah. What's your next pick, Niels? I decided to put uh, Agraba Cafe on the list. So yes, uh, maybe work. this is the, the best moment to talk about that. Yeah, so this is the restaurant where the Adventureland Bazaar used to be. But uh, Disney kept uh, the bazaar feel in uh, Agraba Cafe. So, yeah. It still has many smaller rooms connected through corridors and each area is a mix of tables with graceful iron chairs, but also a lot of pots and pens and other stuff being sold uh, usually uh, on a wear market. Indeed, there's still a lot of uh, well, the original uh, uh, props available in this restaurant, but also the colorful carpets with the nice patterns, the cozy lanterns and... Well, a lot of other 1001 Arabian Nights style props. So uh, yeah, it really feels like being in Akraba or well, any other Arabian bazaar. The only reason to believe you're actually in Agraba are some of the, well, the subtle references to Aladdin. Uh, there's a sign added in one of the areas with a lamp and a text referring to Aladdin. You can spot uh, the tiger, which uh, could be uh, Raja. It just means tiger. Yeah, I think that's a remnant yeah. of the original bazaar. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And Abu, the, the little monkey, uh, they're sitting together on a flying carpet. But it's all subtle, a bit hidden and, well, 
it mostly is just the 1001 Arabian uh, Nights uh, style. Yeah. Actually, it's a bit like Hakuna Matata. Eh? The original <laughs> theming fits the film. And it's only some subtle touches that they added to connect it to the Disney IP. But well, anyway, it's it's a beautiful, warm and, and charming restaurant. Let's have a look at the food. Uh, Agrabah Cafe is an all-you-can-eat uh, buffet restaurant. So you pay upfront and you get a table assigned in the, well, the labyrinth of uh, seating areas. Then you have to find your way to the buffet. You can uh, go back as many times as you like. The buffet is a mixture of Mediterranean and Middle Eastern foods. Choices include a selection of salads, various vegetables, couscous, rice, even pasta, I believe. Maybe to make it a bit more accessible uh, for the big audiences. <laughs> Traditional flatbreads, kebabs, lamb stew, sausages, meatballs. I think there were also potatoes and many more uh, things to choose from. But uh, what I really like is that they have made some nice flavor combinations with uh, spices, herbs, honey and so on. Making the salads and meats taste a bit different than what you <laughs> usually get in the parks or maybe uh, different than at home uh, as well. So there's also some spices and sauces that you can add yourself to your kebab or your, well, any other choices uh, of the buffet that you made. So you can just pick some of the spices and put it on your dish. And let's not forget about uh, the Middle Eastern desserts, such as a variety of delicious sweet baklava uh, options and, and also a really good pecan pie um, amongst some other uh, offerings. And there used to be some pieces of fresh fruit and a lot of candy too, but it was not always there when I um, went to Agrabah Cafe. So I'm not sure if that was taken out at a certain moment or interesting, uh, <laughs> or maybe just not uh, on the, well those days. Especially my daughter really liked uh, <laughs> there was a lot of candy. <laughs> you could, could just load into your plate and uh, <laughs> yeah. But, well, to conclude, Agaba Cafe is open for lunch and dinner, but it's definitely uh, not always open. Uh, so um, yes. uh, check it out. Especially it's not open for dinner a lot of times. So be sure to check the opening times on the website or in the app and uh, make a reservation up front if you um, desire to uh, try some Arabian food. I love some Arabian yeah. food. I'm very tempted by this restaurant. However, I'm always a bit... Yeah. Buffet restaurants at theme parks are a problem for me because I'll tend to overeat mm -hmm. because I'm enjoying myself very much. And then I won't be able to ride my favorite attractions, which is a <laughs> bummer. So I tend to just stay away from buffets yeah. at theme parks, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it really depends on um, yeah. your company, uh, I guess. And uh, especially with a little child, it's always good to have a buffet because True. there's so many options usually added for children as well. So there's something for everyone. You can try as an adult something special, something more spiced or a new flavor combination while the kids can just take the pastas and the meatballs and simple potatoes. So uh, yeah. And the fact that you can, well, try different things, uh, that's something that I personally like, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, you have to choose one item from the menu. Definitely. No, I love a good buffet any day. So there are some advantages too, but... Uh, but yeah. uh, just not yeah. at a park during park hours. It's a personal choice. <laughs> like in the evenings, totally, I'll take it. Like Invention's no. also a buffet restaurant. However, I don't have to worry about, you know, going on Big Thunder Mountain mm -hmm. afterwards. I can go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. So next up is Colonel Hathi's Pizza Outpost. Ooh. 
more food. Yes. <laughs> so we already learned that the animatronic birds from the Tiki Room can be found in there. But yeah. did you know that this was originally the Explorers Club? While strolling through Adventureland, you may have noticed the gorgeous white wooden British colonial style restaurant. Yep. Back in 1992, the Explorers Club restaurant boasted some of the best food in Disneyland Park, serving up specialties from Africa and beyond like chicken, shellfish and roasted lamb. Authentic cuisine was cooked up among lush vines, tropical trees, chattering parrots, rare exotic flowers, and game trophies. Mm. Paintings of exotic landscapes adorned the walls, and there was even a full-on cocktail bar. Cast members dressed up like David Livingstone or Ernest Hemingway entertained the kids and adults by telling stories, singing songs, or playing the ukulele. Just one year after its opening, it was decided that Disneyland Park didn't really need that many table service restaurants, and so the Explorers Club was transformed into Colonel Hathie's Pizza Outpost. Yeah, such a loss. Yeah, it's really a bummer. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so nice. <laughs> I really kind of disagree with Ops' decision that we need another <laughs> table service restaurant. <laughs> I feel like we can always use another one. Yeah, while the fantastic food has been replaced with pretty average pizza <laughs> and pasta the fantastic theming remains the explorers club branding can still be found on the murals inside as well as the lanterns on the patio by the way if you're at the parks and you see that colonel hathies is open go there because this is one of those restaurants that's rarely ever open anymore True. and it might be your only chance to marvel at the wonderful interior i've had really bad luck with this place the last couple of visits it's just been permanently closed every single time i've gone <laughs> one day <laughs> i'll get to revisit it have you uh had some pizza there before Niels? yeah I, actually um last year in uh, july when the park was just <laughs> back open for a couple of months and then it was opened uh, so we uh, actually had a pizza oh, nice. outdoors as uh well uh, of course we were not allowed i think to eat in at that moment oh okay and the weather was good and uh, they have quite a big terrace so um, yeah. oh nice what you say that's true it, it's a good pizza but it's average it's not yeah. extremely special but uh, yeah i always take the the four cheese uh, pizza because i really like cheese <laughs> and, and it <laughs> can't adds, go wrong with that no it adds a little bit of the well the french touch with uh, <laughs> some nice cheeses yeah, and for the kids, they have a nice Mickey-shaped kids' pizza. I always hope that my daughter takes that <laughs> from the kids' menu because it just looks cute. And uh, I didn't eat there a lot, but um, yeah, a couple of times over uh, the last couple of years. So uh, There's also an Explorers Club over in Hong Kong Disneyland, and mm. um, it's also a quick service restaurant oh, really? there. Mm, so, interesting. Even though it's not brand to Colonel Hathies no. like ours is. I really like the idea of an Explorers Club. Yeah, me too. But yeah, now it's Colonel Hathies. <laughs> really, none of the live entertainment is left. But um, yeah, very interesting yeah. space. Very fun to look at. It now is a really good looking uh, fast food restaurant. Yeah, very good looking. That's <laughs> yes, true. Yeah. Actually, the menu here, it's just pizza and pasta. But it's the same menu they offer at the Italian-themed restaurant in uh, Fantasyland. Ah, uh, yeah. I forgot the name. La but, Bella Notte? Uh, or? Yes, yeah. Bella Notte, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's exactly the same menu. Oh, yeah. wow. Next is Indiana Jones, a Le Temple du Peril ride. Ooh. Or in English, the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Peril. Your favorite ride at the uh, Paris, I bet. Yes, my favorite <laughs> ride. <laughs> no. 
no. So in the end, I will ask for your opinion as I uh, don't write it. <laughs> well, so this is an uh, outdoor roller coaster attraction that opened July 30, 1993, and it was sponsored by Esso at that time. The idea is simple. Guests board a mining train and they go on uh, Indiana Jones-style adventure through a lost temple. Let's talk some facts and numbers first. It's a chain lift hill based coaster with a maximum height of approximately 18 meters. That's 59 feet. And the full ride is just 600 meters long or 2000 feet. This includes an inversion while reaching a speed up to 58 kilometers an hour or 36 miles per hour. And that inversion was actually the first ever inversion in a Disney parks attraction uh, globally. And this all happens in just one minute and approximately 15 seconds. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a short one. Note that you have to be at least 140 uh, centimeters tall to be allowed uh, to ride Indiana Jones. And that's the highest height requirement of any Disney attraction uh, globally. So uh, yeah, some nice numbers there. Some history now. Originally, Disney thought about creating uh, Indiana Jones Miniland within the Paris version of Adventureland. Why, Disney? Why didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, why? (laughs) But due to financial issues... And choices, <laughs> let's say. We didn't get a full and unique Indiana Jones ride with a themed area around it. So in 1993, this far smaller, simpler and shorter version opened as well. Probably a temporary alternative. I believe the track isn't designed especially for Disney as well. So it's not a unique ride layout. And after seven years, Disney decided to make a change to the ride. To well, at least renew interest in the attraction and have some cool, uh, well thing to market. So for the year 2000, the Indiana Jones et le Temple du Peril ride started to ride backwards. The trains were also expanded with extra seats to uh, increase capacity and uh, Disney had to make several modifications to well make that possible uh, to the props and also to the track itself. Actually, the ride was amended in such a way that the big drops and also the really sharp curves were made a bit less intense as your body couldn't prepare for it uh, <laughs> while riding backwards uh, and not seeing uh, it in front of you. But four years later, in 2004, the right uh, direction was uh, brought back to the normal uh, direction. And another 10 years later, in 2014, Indiana Jones ride got a major refurb. Disney made some temporary ride solution things more structural that time by using more durable materials for both the ride and also the theming around it. It looks like it's there (laughs) to stay. (laughs) And when it reopened, still in 2014, the loop appeared to be a bit larger too. But uh, well, till today, there's no official word on extending the ride or well, even built the once imagined uh, Miniland. So yeah, how cool would it be to get this themed place with a restaurant, oh, so themed nice. snacks, a bigger shop than what we have now? Maybe even a stunt show like there is in Walt Disney World or the nice simulator dark ride they have at Disneyland Park, Anaheim, and Tokyo Disney Sea. That yeah, that would make it. Such a cool mini land. Yes. Uh, And we also should get a meet and greet with Indy, I think. Oh my gosh, totally. (laughs) There's enough space behind the current ride. So yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed that one day, especially now Disney is making the fifth Indiana Jones film expected in uh, 2022. It's becoming more relevant now, uh, but they need to hurry up then to get this done in time. And with COVID closures and financial losses, it might... Well, just wishful uh, thinking uh, for now, but uh, yeah, I still hope they do it. Totally. I feel like we're going to have to wait a really long time to see anything happen because yeah. they're laser focused on Walt Disney Studios Park right now, just trying to True. make that yep. park more palatable, like a day park. And yeah. after that's done, I think that'll be the point in time where we'll actually see some love being devoted back to Disneyland Park. And I would just 
love mm. Indiana Jones Adventure to open up in Paris. It's such a yeah. fabulous indoor dark ride attraction system that we don't have yet in Europe. So nope. it's very unique. I know in Orlando, there's also Dinosaur, which uses yeah. the same track it's the layout. same track. Yeah. yeah. So that would be fantastic. Yeah, I would love to ride that. I never did it, but I watched some YouTube videos and this would be really, really cool. It's really yeah. fun, Niels. I've actually only been on it in Tokyo, mm -hmm. so I don't know the American versions okay. of it, but yep. in Tokyo, it's a lot of fun. And it's so, so immersive, even if you don't understand a word of what the <laughs> characters around you are saying. Oh, yeah, they're talking Japanese, Japanese yeah. but, <laughs> but yeah. it's totally worth it. It's so much fun. Yeah, the roller coaster itself, not my favorite. No. Before the 2014 renovation, it was very, very rough. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a rough ride. Yeah, I heard a lot of people complaining that, well, it still is, well, too short, but yeah. also not comfortable at all. Yeah, and I don't know what it is. It's better these days, but mm -hmm. it's not as good as the one over in Tokyo Disney Sea. And I don't understand because it's theoretically the exact same attraction they have over there oh. besides the yeah. Indiana Jones Adventure. So, and that one's super smooth. I didn't have any issues mm. with it, but interesting. One issue I do have with both rides is that my husband, he's a big fella, mm -hmm. and he can't get on these. Oh. The ride system just won't lock around him. And this is one thing that Disney is oh. usually really wow. good at, yeah. is accompanying people of all body shapes and sizes. Yeah. But for some reason, this thing doesn't work. Mm. And I don't want to ride it alone. Maybe because they don't have this ride in the American parks. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. This one's a, really a skip for me a lot of times, even though mm. I love thrill rides. It's just an unexpected attractive corner of the park it's a dead end you don't want to yeah, go there it's a dead end indeed so a lot of people don't even know that it's there huh? yeah unless you're really looking at the map and checking out all the thrill rides if you're really into that but uh, yeah. otherwise this one is easy to miss check it out yeah. if you're a first time Disneyland Paris visitor yeah. if you enjoy thrill rides it's worth yeah. checking it out at least yeah and they do offer fast pass uh, usually yeah. so uh, yeah and I think wait times are usually relatively low for yeah, they're a thrill fine. ride yeah, it's like 30 yeah. minutes on average, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Doable. Yep. Yep. <laughs> totally. What's next on your uh, list, Eric? Yeah. So I wanted to share some construction insights with you guys, specifically about cool. Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland Paris. Now we have a whole episode on Pirates alone. So yeah. check that out if you haven't yet. But don't skip over this just yet because I've recently stumbled across some new info. Mm. So this comes from a wonderful interview from DesigningDisney.com with Chris Teets. Besides the immersive story, Story of Pirates of the Caribbean, the attraction is known for its signature and very popular thrilling drops. Oddly enough, it was the actual construction site constrictions in California that dictated the introduction of the two ride drops and the final lift hill for the first Pirates of the Caribbean attraction that opened in 1967 in California. Half of the enormous show building was to be placed outside the berm, which meant that it had to cross the steam train tracks that circled the parks. True. The solution was to have the ride flume drop two times at the beginning of the show in order to get it low enough to pass under the train tracks above. The up ramp, aka lift hill, is then placed at the end of the show building to bring the ride boats back up to where they started before the two drops. However, the two subsequent pirate rides that followed came across a high water table that was not an inherent feature of the California site. The pirates attraction at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World and Tokyo Disneyland both ran into this problem, so they could only incorporate a single smaller drop during the ride. Mm. This was a big disappointment to many park goers who knew the attraction. 
To the Imagineer's surprise, when they mapped out the location for the Pirates Ride in Disneyland Paris Adventureland, they found that there was also a high water table to deal with. <laughs> However, they absolutely wanted to incorporate the same two thrilling drops as in the original attraction, but digging down would just be way too expensive. Again, as in California, the construction side would dictate the slight design change in order to get the show everyone wanted. The solution was to bring the ride up first in order to gain enough elevation for the two drops to follow. Thus, the up ramp is worked into the show to occur first after passing under the steam train tracks, and then the first drop is introduced to escape the upper level of the flooded fort, plunging down into the middle of the bombardment scene between the pirate galleon and the Caribbean city fort. The second drop is saved for the plunge down into the exciting exploding arsenal scene. Yeah, that's where they take your picture, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so keep that face ready at that point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this yeah. exploding arsenal was actually a feature depicted by Walt Disney during his presentation of the ride on his television show all the way back in the 1960s as a climax to the show. Because in Disneyland the construction team was able to dig down deep, the tall show buildings half underground <laughs> could be hidden with the quaint New Orleans square facades. At Disneyland Paris, however, the tall show buildings were mostly above ground, so the team had to find an alternative. Imagineers found that the tall battlements of a Caribbean fort could hide the show building nicely within the theme. And if you look to the right side of the facade, you can see that part of this fort is actually the side of the Peter Pan show building, yeah. painted to look like it's part of the fort. Yeah, and that's another pirates-themed film, so... Very true. <laughs> All pirates together. It works. <laughs> yeah. It's a tradition on construction sites to have a topping-off ceremony when the last beam is placed atop a structure. Then flags are planted on the highest point of a building. So one day, several of the Imagineers climbed to the top of the show building over the Blue Lagoon, <laughs> back as it was known then, Captain Jack today, yep. onto the yet unfinished roof and planted a pirate flag. Chris Teets explains, quote, It was still a little damp from the rain, and the corrugated middle roof was moving a little under my feet. It was exhilarating, but since I'm not fond of heights, I couldn't wait to get back down to the ground, end quote. <laughs> the sets for Pirates of the Caribbean attraction in Paris were mainly constructed in a large facility in the United Kingdom. Hmm. Caribbean town buildings, forts, and whole pirate ships were built and painted in warehouses, disassembled, and then shipped to the site for reassembly. Procurement of the props was far and wide. Many were built from scratch in the central shops located backstage in Walt Disney World. Some were made in the United Kingdom, and many were found in various stores all over the globe. Mm. The manufacturing of the audio-animatronic figures for Pirates of the Caribbean was all done in the central shops backstage at Walt Disney World. The figures of each scene were staged as they would appear in the show and programmed to pre-recorded dialogue and sound effects right down to the chickens, goats, and dogs. <laughs> Theatrical lighting was set up highlighting and accenting scenes and characters with careful attention to keep facility walls and ceilings from being seen. There's a story that when the original Disneyland Pirates attraction first turned on the fire effects, the fire department was called in thinking it was a real fire. <laughs> so <Wow. laughs> a similar situation occurred in Disneyland Paris. As the team began testing the Burning City fire effects, several workers started to panic and had to be reassured that it was only a fake special <laughs> effects fire. So talk about yeah. a deja vu. Nice. It's essential that before anyone is allowed to ride a new ride system, it be thoroughly tested for safety and mechanical operation. This usually happens before show installation, but sometimes overlaps depending on safety. The first time filling pirates with water at Disneyland Paris to test for leaks to make sure propulsion systems functioned, mm. brakes worked, wires and general machinery uh, worked reliably. <laughs> the project team's sense of humor led them to procure t-shirts for everyone, 
to wear with a quote eminent flood printed across <laughs> the front so thankfully all the tests went flawlessly <laughs> Now, Imagineers can spend years in design and construction working together with many different talented craftspeople to achieve the best possible show they can. Mm. Yeah, it really shows. Definitely. So, yeah. Nils, do you have a favorite scene in Ooh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Difficult. <laughs> They're all so iconic. True. I really love that lagoon scene in the beginning where you see the restaurant, actually. Oh, yeah. Because it's so, so atmospheric. Yeah, it's atmospheric. It's quiet. And you feel something is gonna happen <laughs> so it's really yeah, building it's up true. to the excitement the yeah. yeah to the suspense and then you have that huge lift hill with quite loud audio and well the water plunging around you and yes yeah that's really impressive i can also imagine that it's quite scary for a lot of people especially kids totally <laughs> but yeah but i also love that scene with people in prison and the dog with the key so um, yeah that's really one of the iconic scenes that is in every version of the ride yeah yeah, yeah it's a fantastic ride there's even a hidden mickey uh, <laughs> you can hear about in our hidden uh, mickey episode but uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> I really love the first drop into the battle scene. That has just such epic pacing yeah, to you me. You drop and right into the action. Yes, it's so thrilling. And it's very overwhelming the first time you're on it because there's so much going on. The drop, the battle, it's everything yeah. all at once. And it's so yeah, much with fun. With a big pirate ship. Yes. Uh, it's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, Niels, what's yeah last my pick? last pick already. <laughs> That's uh, La Cabane de Robinson, oh, the Paris yeah. version uh, of the huge treehouse built by the shipwrecked Swiss family Robinson. The Disneyland Anaheim version closed already and it was reworked to Tarzan's treehouse, just like there's a Tarzan treehouse in Hong Kong, uh, by the way. In the Magic Kingdom, Tokyo Disneyland and Disneyland Paris, you can still experience this, uh, well, five to ten minute walkthrough attraction, which uh, refers to the original 1960 Walt Disney uh, movie. While climbing the stairs up and down of this uh, more than 27 meter high tree, you can see various scenes based on the original film. There are no people or animatronics, so it's basically just an exploration of the house, of the tree house. And on your way, you are treated to some great views of Adventureland. And you can yes. even spot the castle or when the weather conditions are optimal, you can even see a really, really small Eiffel Tower in the distance. So uh, No way, really? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> There's one point and well, the weather should be really, really clear. But uh, yeah, it's possible to spot it. So which rooms are there to explore? On the ground level, there's a kitchen slash dining room and also a library. And then on your way up to the next floor, you can find a nice lookout. While the first floor features uh, the actual living place to live for the family. Yeah. When arriving on the second floor, you can uh, discover the bedroom of the parents. And the bedroom of the boys is at the top of the tree. And each room is filled with well, nice props, all referring to the movie. And along the way, you can find beautiful pedal wheel, cool water distribution systems and well, a lot of other things. So really look for those little details because yeah, if you just <laughs> rush through it, <laughs> then it's quite a boring walk then maybe. But uh, yeah, it's actually full of nice little details referring to that movie. Lastly, the Adventure Isle, including the tree, has got a major refurbishment in 2016. All 300,000 leaves of this, well, fake <laughs> <laughs> tree got repainted. So, wow, such a massive job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And the good thing of this attraction is that it is always something with a short wait <laughs> or no. no wait at all. It's not a must-do, I think. It is a nice experience to do on a busy yeah. part of the day. Huh? When, when the big rides have long waits, uh, then you can easily do this. 
and uh, well explore it enjoy the views it's a nice addition and especially that this tree really fits the adventure aisle and the whole landscaping of Adventureland as a nice, I won't say a weenie, but definitely an eye-catcher. Yeah, totally. This is one of those attractions that's like a skip a lot of times, not because I don't enjoy it, mm -hmm. but because I have to go upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> My feet hurt. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm... If you worked all day and then you have to climb those yeah. stairs, yeah, then it's maybe a bit oh, too much. No. But uh, you definitely don't have to do it every time. But yeah. uh, it's nice to do it once in a while. It's a very cute experience. Yeah. What's the last one on your uh, list? Yeah, so for my last pick, I wanted to talk a bit about the caves of Adventure Isle. Yeah, Bes those are cool. Yeah, definitely. Besides the great attractions one can experience at Disney Park, something that's a bit underappreciated, um, but just as unique, are the park or experiences that appeal to the imagination of many without having to board a ride vehicle in a classic sense. In order to create an immersive experience, the Imagineers put in the work. So <laughs> you definitely feel it in La Cabana Robinson, mm -hmm. which Niels just talked about, but you also feel it in the massive sets, fantastic special effects, and earworm-inducing soundtracks that contribute to the great experience. One such immersive space is Adventure Isle, so it incorporates elements from several different classic Disneyland attractions and vistas, such as the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, so La Capanne Robinson in French, Tom Sawyer Island, Captain Hook's Pirate Ship, yep. and Skull Rock, creating the centerpiece of Adventureland. The south side of the island is dedicated to telling the story of the Swiss Family Robinson, and their treehouse is high above. Again, like Neil said, it creates a really a visual focal mm. point for the island. Deep below it is a complex system of caves and tunnels to explore. Opening on the south, west, and north pathways offer five different ways into the subterranean caves, which are all interconnected and converge on the central root cellar. I named this because here's where the Robinsons keep their uh, perishable foods and supplies in a cool, dark, and secure storage area. Giant roots from the treehouse above create a root maze with spooky insect sounds all around and a ceiling hole with views up into the tree itself. Suspension and floating barrel bridges, elements from Tom Sawyer Island, yep. lead to the north side of the island where Captain Hook's pirate ship and Skull Rock watch over the entrances to a honeycomb of caves and tunnels themed to the 1883 literally literally literary <laughs> masterpiece Treasure Island. Here too are five different ways in and out of a more complex series of tunnels on two levels to find the hidden pirate treasure. Passing by the skeletal remains of a pirate left behind so that they could not divulge the secret location after all. Yeah, dead men tell no tales. <laughs> <laughs> then there's another path that goes past the bottomless pit and over bridges taking us between the waterfalls with a brief glimpse into the outside world. Back in the caverns through the stalagmite maze, we finally reach the pirate throne and Ben Gunn's treasure scene where another pirate met his fate, mm -hmm. supposedly trying to covet the treasure. The pirate throne is a large chair sculpted out of the rock with skulls all around where the guests can sit for photos. It's located just a little in front of the treasure scene and to its left. The bottomless pit can be reached if you take the Davy Jones Locker Cave entrance and go immediately to your left. The wooden walkways are slightly slanted towards the pit to give you just a little bit of extra vertigo. <laughs> yeah. To give the illusion of a never-ending maze of different caves, the tunnels often run parallel with one another but out of sight of each other. This maximizes the use of the space and creates the feeling of different experiences. The various paths and steps to take parkours in different directions and create a variety of viewpoints and scenes. 
The selection of props is minimal, but tell the story accurately. The Robinson's root cellar is made up mostly of food items and other perishables, and the pirate props are basically skeletons and pile of doubloons, <laughs> jewels, and various other valuables. Yeah, some nice lanterns. And... Yeah, true. Yep. The names of the caves and tunnels are a play on words in keeping with the pirate theme. So Ambush Alley was borrowed from Ambush Rock on Tom Sawyer Island as was the bottomless pit. Some names were from Peter Pan, such as Cannonball Cove, Skull Rock, and Hook's Hideout. The character names were also used from Treasure Island like Ben Gunn's Cave and other classic tales like Davy Jones' Locker. The exterior rockwork was given a specific directional look, so on the very south side of the island, the rock formations start off relatively horizontal and begin to slant upwards as they near the north pirate side. Rising up, they create the high point where the suspension bridge is anchored. The rock stratification is more pronounced on the north side, so they fan out in two different directions away from Skull Rock and get more vertical as they move to a collision, which sets them in an upright formation creating Spyglass Hill Lookout and the other high end of the suspension bridge. The rock work was also given an ocean and wind eroded look. According to the legend, so this is the background story, <laughs> the ocean erosion is what formed the interior voids and grottos creating the caves and tunnels. This was all a conscious effort to give a geological sense to the formation of the island. Now, Niels, have you ever gotten lost in there before? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> we circled around in the, in the caves and... Uh, <laughs> And, and around them a couple of times indeed, but uh, we were able to find the treasure a couple of times as well. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what I really love is that you also can actually go inside Skull Rock and, and look through the mouth and the eyes. It's not the best view from there, but it's cool to watch uh, outside uh, or inside out or what, what is it outside in? <laughs> but no, but it's uh, pretty cool to be in there. I really enjoyed this, well, this whole area because indeed it's massive. Yes. It's such a cool thing especially when you're a little kid and you dream to be a pirate this is the place to well really feel like a pirate and do your explorations yeah i really enjoy strolling through there i've gotten lost there a few times which can be <laughs> equally entertaining and frustrating but yeah. uh, it's very unique i like that it's not so distanced from the rest of the park like sam toyer's island is in the other disney parks no, it's all connected you can just walk there it's quick and easy and then as a reward yep. you get to either ride pirates of the caribbean or explore the swiss family treehouse which are both very fun to do yep. niels where can people find you people can find me uh, on instagram under the handle at capturing disney parks uh, there i post about uh, disneyland uh, paris and Walt disney world uh, on a daily basis my twitter with news is uh, at kept disney parks and my podcast and influencer interviews uh, can be found on uh, capturingdisneyparks.com so check it out yeah and check out niels's uh, newspaper article in dutch if you can uh, read yeah. it was so, it's also on so the website it's true it's so cool <laughs> yeah uh, it was really an honor to uh, be approached by a local newspaper so nice. for an interview about my uh, disney passion and uh, online activity so that uh, yeah that was really cool that's really awesome you guys be sure to follow air Magique on twitter instagram and facebook for more more neat Disneyland Paris content. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. It really makes a difference and helps new folks discover the show. And if you do, we might read it on a future episode. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.
Now, the little bonus segments you have been hearing at the end of the show are actually full-length bonus episodes that will be Patreon exclusives. Niels and I will spill all the tea on the next episode. Now enjoy this preview of our Disneyland Paris trivia. Can you name two shows or films that were shown in the Discoveryland Theater before we got Mickey's Filler Magic? Two shows or films that were shown in... Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. So <laughs> there was Captain EO. I believe yes. that was the first one that I saw there. It was so much fun. And that was the first one. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was the first one. And the other one was Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which... Uh, <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> My dad was so proud of uh, getting us in that theater because I remember when it first opened, there were several hour-long waits. And oh. he, they did the same thing with MasterCard, I believe, that or American Express back in the day. I don't know which one that they do with Mickey and the Magician special these days. Seats. So special yeah. seats so you could get in. Um, actually, before the attraction opened to the general public, they did like one show just for a credit card right. <laughs> <laughs> holders. So that's how I... I got to experience Honey, I Shrunk the Audience for the first time. And in Paris, we actually had this really fun thing where each seat has headphones. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure if it's still there. Do they no, still have that? the Villa Magic is... Oh, um, did they get rid of it? Yeah, that's true. No, the audio is just in the room. Multi-language. Uh, multi-language or maybe even... Yeah, I think then it's probably then over the main show speakers. It's just yeah, in, it they is. switch back and forth between English and yeah. French. And the thing that you have in front of you now is the wind blowing machine. 